All right, let's go to Matthew in chapter 26. We had a great uh, new members class this morning as well, and I'm not sure the exact number, maybe 20 or so, and uh, some that have recently joined and others that are just visiting and uh, praying about membership here. And so we just got started. We have uh, three more weeks that will be together in that new members class. You're more than welcome to attend if you'd like to, if you're a new member here or you're interested. Uh, we meet on the second floor um, in the conference room, and so we talked about a little bit of the history today and uh, of the church, so it was a great time. In two weeks from now, we'll have a combined Sunday school as part of the Creation Conference. It'll start actually on Friday night, Saturday morning, and into Sunday. I believe we need to understand what the Bible says about how we got here on this earth and creation and so many verses in God's word talks about how that God created the heavens and the earth and in six literal 24 hour days. And so we need to be able to give an answer to those that ask a, a reason of the hope that's in us. And so that'd be part of it. And so I'm looking forward. We'll say more about that as we get just a little bit closer. Okay, let's go to Matthew 26 here now this morning. And, and uh, I want to do a little bit of background reading as we get into it. So look at verse number 31, if you would. Join me there, verse 31. We're going to be focusing in on Peter, whom uh, Jesus called. The Bible tells us that Jesus passed by the Sea of Galilee and there were two brothers fishing. And uh, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, and they were casting in the net. And Jesus said unto them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And the Bible says that they forsook their nets and followed him, followed him. Now we come to Matthew 26 and verse 31. And Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples. They're observing the Passover. We'll explain a little bit more what that means momentarily. But he says this, then said Jesus unto them, all ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, he would be the shepherd, and the sheep, that'd be the disciples of the flock, the sheep of the flock shall be, what? Scattered abroad. But after I'm risen again, <laughs> after I'm risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. Peter answered, well, he always had an answer. <laughs> Wasn't always the right one. But he answered and said, Peter answered and said, Unto him, though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will not I, yet will I never be offended. You ever said something like that? Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this night before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice, three times, three times. Peter said unto him, verse 35, Though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Likewise also said all the disciples. So it wasn't just Peter. Let's keep reading just a little bit. Verse 36. Then come Jesus with them into a place called Gethsemane, which means the oil press, if you remember that. The, press, the pressure, the oil press. And he said unto his disciples, sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him, notice this, Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John. And began to be sorrowful and very heavy. It says here that he became, began to be very heavy. And, and he said unto them, my sorrow, 
My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tear ye here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh to the disciples and findeth them asleep and saith unto who? Peter. He saith unto Peter, what? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. The flesh is weak. Verse 40, if you would please. Verse number, I'm sorry. Verse number 51. 51. It says, and behold, one of them, this is after they apprehended Jesus. We'll tie all this together in a moment. I just want you to see it. It's all about Peter here that we're reading. And behold, one of them which were with Jesus, that, that Pete would be Peter, John tells us that in his gospel, stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck a servant of the high priest and smote off his ear. It wasn't a good shot, but he sure had the intention of helping all right, now let's drop down to verse 57. And they that laid hold on Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter, notice this, but Peter followed, what does it say next? Afar uh, off. Peter followed afar uh, off unto the high priest's palace and went in and sat with the servants to see the end. Now let's drop down to our text, verse 69. Verse 69, we'll read through the end of the chapter. Now Peter sat without. Now Peter sat without in the palace, and a damsel came unto him, saying, Thou also wast with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied before them all, saying, I know not what thou sayest. I don't know what you're talking about. In other words, verse 71. And when he was gone out into the porch, another maid saw him and said unto them that were there, this fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied with an oath. I do not know the man. And after a while, came unto him, they that stood by and said to Peter, surely thou also art one of them for thy speech bereath thee. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man. And immediately the cock crew. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus, which said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and wept bitterly. This morning, with God's help, I'd like to try to preach about Peter, because I think there's a lot about Peter that's a lot about us. And here's the title. The danger of being a safe distance from the Lord. The danger. You may have seen it in the bulletin as a safe distance from the Lord. And that's what Peter is doing. But just got to think a little bit more about it. The danger. The danger of being a safe distance from the Lord. Close enough to care, but distant enough for self-protection. Close enough to care, but distant enough 
for self-protection. So may God bless the reading of his word. I'll let you hear the rest of the message sitting down. How's that? certainly are times in which it is good, it's a good idea to keep a safe distance. There are times, dangerous situations, dangerous people, dangerous animals. If you've been out door knocking, you see a loose dog, then you know, man, I need to, I need to keep a safe distance here. It's on that side of the street. I'm on this side of the street, right? Keep a safe distance. I, I like to run, as you know, and many of you know, and, and I do. I watch out for dogs, and sometimes, you know, I see one, and I maybe pick up a stick or something and a rock or look for a fence to jump over or a car to climb on top of. I mean, you know, you just you got to keep a, a safe distance. Fireworks. Fireworks is best to keep a safe distance. Bonfires. Keep a safe distance. Explosives, come on, I'm trying to help some of the rednecks here this morning. <laughs> Tannerite, and, uh, see, I knew there'd be some here. Some pyros, you know, and blowing stuff up. You got to keep a safe distance though, right? And have something shielding you, a safe distance. Uh, my granddad, as I was growing up, he'd say, hey, be careful going out in that pasture, the bull's out. Huh? Some of you grew up around that, you know. You know, I grew up a little bit around horses. I feel very comfortable around horses. And for the most part, I feel comfortable around cattle, but not bulls. I don't. You know, I, I'm always keeping an eye out. I guess maybe just my granddad drilled that into me. Hey, you need to keep a, a safe distance here. He could turn on you in a hurry. And, and so anyways, you got to keep a safe distance. Maybe the road. you got kids. You say, hey, listen, you can go this far on the driveway. I know for me growing up again, my grandparents, they, there's a, just a, a crack in the asphalt. And they said, okay, you can go to this point, but don't go any further, you know, on your bike and such. Just you got to keep a safe a safe distance because there's, there's cars that would hurt you or animals and so forth. So it makes sense that with something that could hurt you that you would keep a safe distance. But here's Peter keeping a safe distance from the Lord. A safe distance. He followed a, a far off. He was in the court. He moved and was warming himself. The other records give us a little bit more detail here. And, and, uh, but he followed at a distance. And he was at a distance from the Lord geographically. But he's also going to um, create an even more distance between him and the Lord by what he'd say in denying the Lord. There's a reason why he distanced himself from the one who would never do him any harm. Isn't it ironic? And I understand, in fact, actually what I'd like to do is commend Peter for being at the house. Come on, and we're talking about the one who got out of the boat and walked on water with Jesus while the rest of them stayed in the boat. There's a lot of good things to say about Peter. Everybody else stayed in the boat. He got out and at least walked with the Lord. And, and so here he is. And John would tell us that he actually, John the apostle, was also there and had some inroads. We're not going to deal with all the details that are here. But, but I, I think it's worthy that we would commend Peter that, that he got as close as he could. I mean, really, technically, he couldn't go into the 
proceeding of the Sanhedrin, that Jewish governing body. He couldn't be there in that, in that gathering. We actually, as I mentioned last week, we got to be at what they believed to be Caiaphas's house. And you can still see the road that's coming from the Garden of Gethsemane and where they would have crossed the Kedron Valley and, and come up the road. There, it's like a rock bed and you can come up to this very elaborate home. I mean, it, it seems to me like it actually is indeed the house of Caiaphas and I mean, he would not have been able to be on the inside, but, but I believe Peter got as close as he could. I believe he wanted to know, he wanted, well, the Bible tells us here that he followed afar off to see the end. He wanted to know what was going to happen to his Lord. He had just promised, he had just said, I'd die for you, Jesus. We'll come back to that in just a moment, but, but he said, I'd die for you. And so it's, it's obvious here that he's close because he cares. I think he generally does. He's close because he cares. In fact, um, in Luke's account, when Peter denies the Lord, it says that Jesus looked and cast and, and put his eyes upon Peter and they met eyes. Can you imagine you've just failed the Lord and, and he looks at you and you failed him and and so he's close enough that they, they could see each other. So I don't know geographically what the distance would look like. He was close enough to care and yet distant enough to protect himself. To protect himself. So here we are this morning, I think in a, actually a very similar setting. Because you're here on a Sunday morning you're close enough to care. You're, you are. You're close enough to care. You're in church. You care about the things of the Lord. Um, there are people I know that are attending here that are lost, not saved. There's some that, that I'm personally trying to invest in and take some time with. And I, and I, can, I, can, I love it. I love to see how the people, um, they get closer to salvation we never want to push anybody to make a quick decision. The person needs to understand and, and clearly understand. But I, I think that there's some that are even here, maybe even this morning. I, I don't know all that are here and I look out and I know many of you, but I think there may be somebody that's just, you're here because you, you know that there's something maybe that's missing in your life and you can't just, uh, you can't put your finger on it. And uh, maybe there's a lot of religious confusion that's been in your life. And, and, but I, I know that there's some that are really close, I'd say, to salvation. And, and by the way, salvation is not an effort on your part that, you know, maybe if I, get, if I work and just try a little bit harder, then I get saved. Oh, no, listen, there's not a thing you can do to save yourself. The only thing you can do is trust the one that came to save you. And he's, he's able to save you. But, but I, think, I think you understand what I'm saying. There's some that are close to maybe understanding or close to walking down the aisle. Which, by the way, thank God, you don't even have to walk down the aisle to be saved. You can be saved right there where you are in your pew. You can be saved right now while I'm talking. You don't have to wait till the invitation to get saved. And I know people that have been saved just right there where they were. My, my Sunday school teachers, when I was eight years old, she asked, how many of you know that you're going to heaven? And kids raised their hands because gospel salvation is so simple that even a child can understand it. And, but I knew, I knew for sure that as, as my Sunday school teacher there, Miss Melinda was asking our junior church, how many of you know that? I couldn't raise my hand then, but then she asked this, how many of you know that you're not saved and you're going to hell? And I raised my hand as an eight-year-old boy. I didn't walk forward. I didn't tell anybody else. But right there when she prayed, I prayed. And I asked Jesus to save me. It was on April, April the 1st. Yes, April Fool's Day. 
But God wasn't playing a, a trick on me. He was, he was uh, offering genuine salvation and I asked Jesus to be my savior. And I, here's what I remember praying. By the way, it's not, it's not necessarily even what words you pray, but you gotta come to him repentant, knowing you're a sinner and there's nothing you can do to save yourself. And I just simply prayed this way, God, I know I'm a sinner and I'm on the wrong road. Would you save me and put me on the right road? And he saved me right there. You could be saved even this morning. Some of you, I think, are very, very close, but there might be something holding you back. Because you wonder, well, if I get saved, will I be able to live that Christian life? No. I'll just help you right now. No, you, you won't be able to. But he is able to help you live the Christian life. It's not up to you. But you may be holding on because you think, well, if I get saved and I give my life to the Lord and he changes my life, then I'm going to miss out on all this. Yeah, I'll tell you one thing, you'll miss out on hell. You'll miss out on a life of regret. I'm, I'm saying if you not only will be saved, but also be his disciple, you'll miss out on a whole lot of regret and a lot of shame. Hey, there's a lot of good things you'll miss out on. You might be real close. Close enough to care, but distant enough to say. And I understand I never try to push anybody. I've already said that one time. I'm saying it again because I don't ever want to. I don't want them to make a decision because of me. I want them to make a decision because of him. See, close enough to care, but distant enough to keep self-protection. But you know, it's not just people that are not saved that struggle with this. I think it's those like Peter. I mean, Peter was one of his disciples and he'd been very, very close to the Lord. And yet he was struggling with being close to the Lord because at that point in time, it seemed dangerous. Yeah. And it may be that, it, that in your Christian life, you're close enough to care on Sunday, but I want to ask you, are you his, his disciple when it comes Monday? And you're in the break room and everybody's laughing at the inappropriate jokes and you feel the pressure. You feel the pressure to join in or you feel the pressure to, to fit in with people that you were with. Hey, let's come on now. Let's be honest as adults. Peer pressure does not end when you get out of your teenage years. In fact, I'm going to say it this way. It goes to a whole nother level. This matter of peer pressure. So if you'd allow me to, I'd like to walk back through the text a little bit and talk about how that the pressure was mounting against the Lord Jesus and thus the fallout of that was gonna come to the disciples and it most certainly would. And yet I'm glad to tell you, in fact, I'll just go ahead and tell you the end of the story. Yes, Peter did deny, but Peter got right. And he stood boldly on that day of Pentecost and preached and saw people saved. Hey, listen, he was glad to identify with him. But at this point, He's distant. Gethsemane, as we've already mentioned, is the garden in which Jesus and his disciples were, were gathered together and they were praying. In fact, Jesus, listen, this is very important to the message. I'm not just doing a little bit of review, just kind of catch up here, though I think it helped us all. But, but he's also told him this. He said, listen, listen, you need, to, you need to pray that you enter not into temptation. Our Lord knew the pressure that they would face. Our Lord knows the pressure that you will face. He knows what's coming tomorrow. He knows what's coming 10 years from now. And right now it's time for us before the trial comes, before the hard time comes. Now it's time for us to be close to God. And so Jesus is saying to Peter, Peter, I want you and James and John to, to pray while I go here and pray. And he was pressed because he knew that he would have to drink from that cup. That cup was the cup that he drank for you, friend. The cup that he drank for me. You say, what cup are you talking about? I'm talking about that cup of suffering. 
A cup of suffering. And it was not just that they drove the nails into his hands and that they poked, they, 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 they drove the spear into his side and blood and water came out. Or that they drove those nails through his, through his feet and that he hung there naked and embarrassed before all mankind. And, and he was suspended and he began to lose his breath. Hey, listen, it wasn't just the pain, the physical pain on the cross, but the spiritual pain that's associated there. In this sense that he was separated from his father because your sins... And my sins were placed on Jesus all at one time. I can't even begin to describe to you the intense pressure that there was on our Lord. So much so that as he looked ahead, he said, Father, if there's another way, could we go that way? But he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And thank God he was willing to take that pressure. And he prayed three times. And he came back each time. And to the ones who had just said, I die for you. He found them asleep. They couldn't even stay awake. Well, I can identify with that, can't you? Some of you just woke up. That's a blessing. <laughs> Peter fell asleep. He didn't pray. He fell asleep maybe while praying. I don't know, Brother Ted, how many times I've done that. You wake up on your knees and, and, and you think, how long have I been here? We're weak. Peter was weak. Jesus went and prayed again a second time, came back, Peter was asleep. Same thing a third time. Three times he failed to pray like the Lord told him to. Jesus is taken to the home of Caiaphas, as we've already mentioned, and, and the pressure is on him, and, and Caiaphas comes right down to it, and, and he says, I want you to tell us very plainly here. Are you the Christ, and are you the Son of God? Jesus was not crucified because he was a political leader. That's not it. He was crucified because the Jews understood his claim to being the Messiah and to being the Son of God as a claim to being God. And Caiaphas, the high priest, tore his clothes apart and said, listen, he has blasphemed. What need ye for the witnesses? What think ye? And they all agreed he needs to die. Outside of that proceeding, some distance away, was Peter. Trying to understand what was going on, trying to understand what was going to happen. The Bible tells us that it was a damsel that came to him first, where the pressure that is put upon Peter at this time, the, the pressure was risky for Peter. Hey, listen, come on, let's give it to him where we can. He was, at a rare, he was there, and it was a very risky move even just to be there. And a little girl, a servant girl that maybe served in the house, she said, uh, she said, you were with him. Leon Morris said this, notice that it, the challenge was as gentle as could be. It was not from a man, but from a woman. Not from a mature woman, but from a girl. Not from a free woman, but from a slave or for one of the servant girls. Another man said, Strong fisherman that he was, he was afraid of a little servant girl's words. You were with him. And he said, I don't know what you're talking about, if you allow me to paraphrase. Now, now right there, he didn't deny Jesus outright. He didn't say, I don't know the man. He hadn't got to that point yet. He just simply said, I don't know what you're talking about, which he did. He lied. He was under pressure. He was under pressure. And under that pressure, because no doubt he was fearing what might happen to him if he identified with the Lord. 
and he denied that he knew what this little girl was talking about. But now, look at, uh, and the word deny means to disown, renounce, to say you don't know anything about what somebody's talking about. He changed locations, verse 71. It says when he's gone out into the port. So now he's from one chamber, one area, maybe one gate to another area. I know we moved over to the, uh, what I, I think is the east side where you can see the road and you kind of get a little bit of a vantage point there. And so he's in this porch area, this vestibule area, um, in this gateway. And, and then another young lady comes and she speaks to those that are gathered there with him. She didn't speak directly to him this time. She says, this one, he was with her. He was with him. John and others would tell us other voices were involved in this. Other people were involved in this. Gives us a little bit more detail. But this time, if you look again at verse number 72, it says this. And again, he denied, he disowned Jesus with an oath. The oath there is to affirm the truth of a statement by calling on a divine being to execute sanctions against a person if the statement is not true. Okay, I, I, sorry, I just ran that by you, but I think you got it. He's saying this basically. We, we would maybe say it this way. I swear, I promise, may God strike me down. He's trying to make his point more clear. I don't know the man. I'm telling you, may God strike me. If, if I am not telling the truth. Aren't you glad God doesn't do everything that we say? Yeah. Verse 73. Others gather around Peter. And after a while came unto him, they that stood by and said to Peter, surely thou art one of them because your speech bereath thee. Your speech gives you away. You know what they're saying right there? You got a northern accent. <laughs> Come on now. You can tell when somebody's from the north. Isn't that right? There's some northerners in here and, and uh, some, some that are not from the north. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I, remember, I remember being up in Boston and, and this lady, this dear lady, she said, uh, my name is, is Marsha. Uh, see, my name is Masha. That's what she said. My name is Masha. But you can call me Marsha. I said, you can say it. I know we can, but we don't. <laughs> I was up in uh, Wisconsin. We were on vacation this, this summer and around Shatek, Wisconsin. And, uh, and I was gonna, we were going to do a little bit of crappie fishing. And so I was going to buy minnows. Okay, now look, that just came natural. All right, minnows. I said, hey, I'd like to buy some minnows. And the guy looked at me and said, say, say what? You want to buy what? Minnows. Minnows. Oh, yeah. That's like I said, minnows. <laughs> you can tell right then, Brother Cecil, you are not from Wisconsin. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, so they said to Peter, Peter, listen, we know that you're not from here. You're not from Judea. You must be from Galilee because we hear it. Yeah. Now, it's interesting. In John's account, there's another gentleman there that, um, that said, um, in fact, let me just read the verse. One of the servants of the high priest being his kinsman whose eater, ear Peter cut off said, did not I see thee? Okay, so there's an eyewitness account. Did not I see thee in the garden with him? Now it was dark and they had lanterns and torches and so forth. But he said, hey, didn't you cut my cousin's ear off? 
I don't know if it was his cousin or kinsman. I don't know. Whatever. I'm pretty sure you're the guy. Here, take this sword and swing it. <laughs> pressure. Just a little bit of pressure from a little girl. A little bit more pressure from a crowd. And even more pressure from now an eyewitness and others who said we know. He said, I, well, you look at it in verse number, where are we at? 70, 74, he began to curse and to swear. I, I don't know that that means that Peter began cussing like a fisherman, which he was. So that could be a curse and swear. I think it's more this idea. May a curse come upon me. I swear I don't know the man. He fell asleep how many times while praying? He denied how many times? Three. Our Lord submitted to the will of the Father how many times? Three. The olive press puts pressure on those olives to get the oil out of it how many times? Three. When Peter remembered the words of our Lord, the Bible tells us that he wept bitterly. That means this, he wept with great agony, great regret, you ever had a time like that? You messed up so bad. You failed your Lord so poorly. He denied the Lord. As I thought about it, why would he do that? Well, why do we do that? I believe from the text, he's afraid that what might happen to him if he did identify with the Lord. He felt it was, hang on, wait a minute. He felt like it was more dangerous for him to identify with the Lord and to be close with him. And therefore he was far from him. But can I turn that on its head and apply it to us here this morning that we may think that being distant from the Lord or the Lord's will for our life makes you safe, but actually it puts you in a place of greater danger. He was in a place of greater danger far from the Lord than he was close to him. Now thank God that Peter genuinely came to a place of repentance before God. And he said, oh God, I failed you. Would you forgive me? And hey, listen to this. He was back in church next Sunday. Amen. Yes, he was. He got back in church. Yes, he, the pressure got to him and he caved. Yes, he caved. He failed God miserably. And by the way, just one night can mark your life for a whole lifetime. But he got back in church and the Lord appeared unto them at the resurrection even before that. But, but he was back in church and the Lord showed up with him. Hey, thank God that even though you fail, even though you fell backwards, even though you, you've done wrong, he still loves you, friend. Amen. Let me ask you this morning. Are you close or distant from the Lord? Are you close or distant? It's interesting to know Peter most likely is the one who gave information to Mark for his gospel and Matthew would gather information from them. So ultimately this account comes from Peter. Now, you and I would maybe just skip over that story. But he didn't. I think he did so because he knew 
Believers of that day that would come behind him, as in Mark's, writing to those that were there in Rome, they were under a lot of pressure. Matthews, he's writing to a predominantly Jewish congregation of believers that have come to faith in Jesus Christ as the Messiah. They were under a lot of pressure as persecution was ramping up, heating up against them. They would be under a lot of pressure. And so they could identify with Peter, who under a lot of pressure gave in. It was easier to deny Jesus than it was to live for him. And it still is. It's easier to deny Jesus than to live for him, especially when you're not close to him. Especially when you're not close to him. Are you close to the Lord? We're talking this morning about a man who was at one time very close to the Lord and yet he got distant from God. Is that right? It could be that some here this morning, you've been close to God at one time, but now you're distant from him. I wonder why. You know what can cause all of us, including this preacher, to get distant from God? Hey, listen, by the way, you can be in the ministry, you can be in church every Sunday and still be distant from God. Close enough to care, but distant enough to kind of protect your life. You know, sometimes a trial can come in almost like a wedge and drive you away from God. I like, I like what um, Hudson Taylor said, don't, don't ever let a, a trial, I'm not quoting this verbatim, but don't let a trial come between you and the Lord, let a trial push you to the Lord. Amen. But sometimes you can feel distant from God because you wonder why is this going on, God? Why is this happening? And you can feel distant from God. Disappointment, people can disappoint you, life can disappoint you, you can get a little bit disillusioned and you wonder why is this going on if God really cares for me? And I'm telling you, you can, be, you can feel distant from God. A besetting sin you can't get any victory over and you feel like, God, I, I, I'm so dirty, I'm so unclean, God doesn't want anything to do with me. Oh, listen, friend, yes, he does. But that sin in your life can cause you to feel distance from God. And then obviously just simply neglecting your time with God can cause you to be distant from God. Listen, listen. the pressures of life reveal where you stand in your relationship with God. You're going to face pressure to want to fit in. You say, this kind of feels like we might be preaching to teenagers. Well, there's some in here. And then there's some adult teenagers in here. The rest of us. I remember when I started getting things right with God, I started carrying my Bible to school, my public school, public high school. But I didn't carry my normal Bible. I carried my New Testament, the small New Testament. And in ag class, come on, I was in Kentucky. In ag class, I'd read my Bible inside of my book bag, concerned about who might see. I'm glad I, God helped me get past that. And I started carrying my Bible to school, my regular Bible. I didn't carry the big family Bible. That's be a show. <laughs> I've mentioned this before. I started praying, you know, before my meal because we ought to thank God. No matter who's around. I'm not saying, you know, you stand up on the table and say, hey, everybody bow the head and close your eyes here at the restaurant here in just a few minutes. We're going to have prayer. 
<laughs> but neither should you pray like the napkin prayer where you drop your napkin. Lord, we sure thank you for the food. Sure appreciate it. <laughs> but it's taking time and say, God, I thank you for the food and just bow your head and pray. But you know, there's pressure because you wonder, what will people think if I stop and pray? Heard about those, that older man in the restaurant, he bowed his head and prayed and thanked God for the food and some rebellious teenagers making fun of him. Hey, old man, does everybody pray and thank God for their food before they eat where you come from? He said, no, the hogs don't. <laughs> they just go ahead and eat. There's some of that pressure. You know, you can have pressure on you to talk a certain way to kind of fit in with a group. Listen to certain type of music to fit in with a group. Go to the movies, watch certain movies, because you want to feel like you're the out, one out. Your kids can feel that, you know, and what, what they won't know about this movie. And everybody else knows about it. Pressure. It's easier to deny the Lord than it is to serve him. The pressure to be a part of things that you shouldn't be a part of, the, part, the pressure to give in physically to somebody just because you want them to like you, the, the pressure of drugs and alcohol and tobacco, the pressure of, of accepting a sinful way of life, the, the pressures that, that can cause you to regret things that you, you regret to this very day. The pressure to go along with things at work, the pressure to, to go along with deceitful business practices that your boss is even putting pressure on you or the, the pressure to say, hey, tell them I'm not here when they are here. The pressure to endorse a sexual behavior that's deviant from God's plan for one man, one woman. And you've got that pressure on you at your workplace. You got that pressure on you and, and, and you're at, and you're in the military. You got that pressure on you and that pressure is so great and it's like the vice grip is tightening up on us and we got to go along and even celebrate it. Pressure for your family to fit in with other families. Uh, pressure from your own family to, who thinks you're, cra you're crazy because you're in church on a Sunday morning. I think you're crazy. Am I right about that? Some of you got some family members think you've totally lost it and, and they think that you're crazy and they think that by having all these, uh, these rules of being in church as they see it and all these confinements that you're going to lose your kids. And, but just give it about 10 to 20 years and see where kids are. Pressure. The pressure to endorse the sinful behavior of your children or your grandchildren. Well, that's a lot of pressure there. And here's what happens when you give in to that kind of pressure, you find yourself in the wrong crowd. You may even find yourself out of church for a while. You find yourself distancing yourself from people that know and love the Lord. You don't want to return their calls. You don't want to return their texts. You don't want to, you see somebody coming in church and you know that you're not close with God. I mean, you're close enough to care, but just enough to kind of keep a self-protection. But you see that person coming and, and, and you know they care about you and your spiritual life. And you know they're going to ask a bunch of questions. And, uh, and, and you just say, hmm. Hmm. I've got friends that ask me hard questions. I'm thankful to God for that. One of them is Pastor John Vaught. He just, some of some many know him in this room and he just got those strong, cold, gray eyes. And he asked me, how you doing, Brother Gaddis? And I say, man, I'm doing good. And he says, no, really, Brother Gaddis, how you doing? 
said, man, come on, I'm doing good, I promise. Look, peers into my soul. It is all right. <laughs> Maybe some people you try to avoid because you know that, man, you're not where you ought to be. But here's what happens when you're distant from the Lord. You don't have the impact that God wants you to have. You end up doing things you'll, you never dreamed that you would do. You live and you do things that you regret and you cry bitter tears and the past haunts you. And listen, I'm just simply trying to get across here this morning this simple truth that there's greater danger being distant from God than there is being close to Him. Where are you with God? If you're distant from Him, it's time to come back to Him. Don't, don't let anything else, don't let anything or anyone or any thought, don't let anything keep you from God. Your life is in greater danger away from him than it is close to him. And some of you may just be playing church and just kind of going through the motions, but he wants you to be his disciple. There's hope. Yes, Peter failed, but he got right. And he stood on the day of Pentecost and preached Jesus and him crucified and risen again. And souls were saved. And eventually they're going to tell Peter, we don't want you to preach anymore in his name. <laughs> they locked him up in jail and God got him out. And they went back to preaching. They said, we told you. And they beat them. And, and listen, Peter was glad. He rejoiced that he was counted worthy. Counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach. Jesus Christ. I thank God this morning that even when we fail him, when we're away from him, he still loves us. And will draw you back to himself. Eventually, in John 21, he comes to Peter and Peter's out fishing. He says, I go fishing. Others went with him. They hadn't caught anything. The Lord said, um, they didn't know it was the Lord. He was on the shore. Children, have you any meat? You, got, you catch any fish? He said, try on the other side. And they tried on the other side. Man, they had a boatload of fish coming in. And Peter said, it's the Lord. And he jumped immediately in the water and swam to him. They had a meal together and Jesus asked him, Peter, lovest thou me? Lovest thou me? Lovest thou me? Three times he'd failed the Lord. And three times God worked to restore him. And he demonstrated that day that he did indeed love his Lord. He was close to him. Father, thank you for not giving up on us even when we're distant from you. I pray that you draw some to yourself. There's some here that need salvation and you're working in their heart and there'd be a lot of excuses that would come to their minds. Maybe a lot of fear, a lot of hesitation about trusting you as their savior. Certainly about walking this aisle to ask for additional help, but I pray you'd help them to to come to you for salvation. And I pray for those that are saved, dear God, that you'd help them if they're distant from you in any way, 
Lord, I pray that you'd help them to draw nigh because you promised that if we would draw nigh or close unto you, that you'd draw nigh unto us. So I thank you for that. Now help us in the invitation, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.